0: The Old Testament lesson for today is from Exodus chapter 17, verses 1 through 7. This can be found on page 69 of your pew Bible. As the people of Israel continue their journey out of Egyptian slavery, they resume their grumbling, doubting God's provision in spite of the miraculous signs they've seen along the way. A reading from Exodus chapter 17, beginning with the first verse. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of Sim by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people there thirsted for water, and the people grumbled against Moses, and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt? kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst so Moses cried out to the Lord what shall I do with these people they are almost ready to stone me and the Lord said to Moses pass on before the people taking with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go behold I will stand before you there on the rock of Horev and you shall strike the rock and water shall come out of it and the people will drink And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the place Massah and Merivah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? May God add his blessing to the reading of his holy word.
1: I hadn't slept in what felt like months. I was exhausted and overwhelmed. I was at the end of my rope. And in my depleted state, I remember two things clearly about myself. I remember complaining. I complained to my bride, Rachel, which is incredibly ridiculous and embarrassing to think about now. And I remember blaming. I remember blaming all those people that hadn't told us the truth. They hadn't told us about the no sleep and the constant state of exhaustion. Now, you may think I'm talking about Uh, Some experience in the military, like basic training or something like that, but no, I'm talking about something much harder than basic training. Something much worse than anything I've experienced in the military. I'm talking about the first few weeks of dealing with a newborn. From the 24 7 attention to the constant dealing with bodily fluids, oh, it was so exhausting. I remember in the midst of my lack of sleep, being full of complaint and full of frustration, blaming people. And what I realize is what I think we see in our passage this morning, that sometimes God, he puts us in situations that we can't handle. I couldn't handle that situation dealing with a newborn. And God, he had put me in that situation. And he puts us in these situations to actually provide us with something. He does so to provide us with an opportunity. And we have an opportunity to respond by complaining and blaming the way I did and the way the people of Israel do in our passage. Or we can respond in a different way, by trusting and relying in him. But before we dive in to take a look at that, I want to remind us exactly where we are in the Scriptures. We're picking up in the third week of our Exodus series, God Moves. Just a reminder, we're in the midst of our three-year chronological study through the Bible. We haven't made it too far yet. We're in book number two, only 64 books to go. hope you guys can stick with us. And where are our characters at in the passage? Max, if you could put up that map for us. So our characters in the passage, namely uh, the Israelites and the people of Moses they're not in a very good place. They're currently in the Sinai Peninsula, you can see, in the middle of this map. They've left Egypt, which is to the west, and you can see they've left that Nile River basin. It's very green and beautiful because everything grows in and around the Nile. And they're not yet to the promised land, to Canaan, which is also significantly green. For those of you that have been to Israel, you know that many things grow there. They, though, are in the midst between. They are in the Sinai Peninsula where, notably, nothing grows. And by the way, they're at almost the southernmost point of that Sinai Peninsula in our story today, as far as possible as they can get from Egypt and from Canaan. They're in the midst of this desert where there's no water, and they are not in a good place. So let's pick up the story in verse one and see how the people of Israel they respond to the situation of being in the desert. It says this: All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of Sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. But there was no water. For the people to drink. Let me read that one more time. But there was no water for the people to drink. One might be tempted after reading this to ask the question why? Why would these people be crazy enough to camp with all their livestock and their families where there's no water? Well, it actually says why right here in verse one. It says they moved and they camped according to the commandment of the Lord. In Exodus 14 what we learn is that these people they were actually following a physical manifestation of God's glory the presence of a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night and wherever the cloud stopped they stopped and wherever the cloud went they went and now the cloud this very presence of the Lord has stopped in a spot where there's no water God has stopped God has put the Israelites in this situation. And this is no minor ordeal. If they don't get water soon, these people will die. So, what we see here in the scriptures, it actually directly invalidates what I often hear people say that God will never give us more than we can handle. These people are literally following a physical manifestation of God's glory, and He's brought them into a situation that they can't handle. There's no water. So how do these people respond? Well, first I want to note that these people, they're in a situation they can't handle, and yet they're in the midst of God's will. They've been following God since they left Egypt. And by the way, over and over again, God has put them in situations they can't handle. He brought them to the Red Sea, which they couldn't cross, and he crossed for them. He brought them manna when they had no food in the desert. And now he's brought them to a place where there's no water. And what this shows us is that when we're in God's will, that doesn't mean we'll face situations we can't handle. Actually, more often than not, when we're in God's will, he puts us in situations we can't handle. When we follow what he calls us to do, he puts us in these situations we can't handle. And one might be tempted to ask the question well, why would a good God place his people in these situations? Is it for his own amusement or entertainment? No, what we see in our passage is that he actually puts us in these situations to provide us with an opportunity for growth and development. You see, God loves us so much that he doesn't want us to stay the same. So let's take a look at that going on in verse 2. It says, Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses, and they said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water. And the people grumbled against Moses and said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill our children and our livestock with thirst? So what do the people of Israel do having been placed in this situation they can't handle? Well, they did what I did when I faced that newborn baby that I couldn't handle. They complain and they blame. What do they do? They respond by complaining to Moses And then they blame Moses. Did you see what it said there in verse two? It says, the people quarreled with Moses. And then it goes on, it says, and then the people grumbled against Moses. I love this grumbling, it's so snarky. They say, why did you bring us up out of Egypt? To kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? What we see here in the people of Israel is the natural response of the human heart when facing a situation it can't handle. You see, the natural response of the human heart is to complain and to blame. That's what it is. And that's exactly what these people do. They face this situation and they look immediately for someone to blame and complain to. By the way, uh, we see this natural response all over our country right now. Have you been on Twitter lately? All we do is blame and complain. And this is because we as a nation... Most of us, if we're honest, we feel like things are out of our control. And this is how we respond to feeling out of control. So where does all this blaming and complaining get us? What's the fruit of the blaming and complaining? I love what famous Catholic priest Thomas Kempis says in his devotional about the response to complain and blame to a broken world. He says this, The unrighteous man looks out on the brokenness of the world and complains and as a result, is twice as unhappy. That's the result. The fruit is that we are a more miserable and angry and anxious anxious culture than probably ever before in the history of the U.S. And I'd have to admit that I fall into this trap of the unrighteous man or the Israelites. My response to situations I can't handle, just like dealing with that newborn baby, is to complain and blame. Instead of allowing these situations to be opportunities for God to work in my life, for God to develop and grow my character, I actually do the opposite. I feed my own flesh. And when I do that, when I complain and blame, it makes me twice as miserable. And maybe this is true for you as well. Let me ask you a question. Uh, For those of us who are followers of Jesus, we're called to recognize the fruit of certain behaviors, the end result. So when you complain and blame, when you find yourself in this thought trap, what's the fruit? When you complain and blame, are you filled with love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, and self-control? No, I didn't think so. Neither am I. Let me ask you a question. Can you imagine a life filled with those fruits? Well, how do we get there? How do we get to that fruit of the Spirit? Well, what if I told you there's actually a different way that we can respond to these situations? A way that we can respond that doesn't make us twice as miserable. A way that actually builds our faith and builds the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. It probably sounds too good to be true, right? Well, let's take a look at a different response in our text. Going on in verse 2, let's look at that again. It says this. What shall I do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. Moses, his life is on the line. He is in desperate straits. And I love what it says here in verse 4. It says that Moses cried to the Lord. Moses is in the same circumstances as the people of Israel. Actually, he's probably in worse circumstances because he's the one that's taking all the blame. And what does he do as a response? Well, instead of complaining and blaming others, he takes his petition straight to God. The only one he knows that's trustworthy and the only one he knows that can actually solve the problem. You see, what we see in Moses' response is instead of complaining and blaming, he actually turns to God and he trusts that God can answer something that he could never do. He turns to God in a posture of trust and reliance. He knows he can't handle the situation. And by the way, this isn't the only time Moses does this. Throughout Exodus and Numbers, we see him in way over his head. And over and over again, he falls on his face before God, calling out to him. Now, Moses, he's not perfect. Don't get me wrong. We're in a few weeks, we're going to see a few of his massive character flaws. But in this section of the text, he gets it right. In this opportunity to build his faith, he turns to God, the only one that can actually solve the problem. He turns to God in a posture of trust and reliance. Same circumstance, different response. Let me ask you a question this morning. When was the last time you faced a situation you couldn't handle and you turned to the only one who could and fell on your face and said, Lord, help me. You see, this is the response of faith. Mm-hmm. Years ago, I was taught a simple prayer to pray in these overwhelming situations. A prayer that I have found useful as of late. It's simply, Lord, I can't, but you can. So I think I'll let you. Lord, I can't free myself from this addiction, but you can. So I think I'll let you. Lord, I can't be the godly parent that my children need but you can, so I think I'll let you. Lord, I can't free myself from this anxiety and crippling fear that's affecting my life, but you can, so I think I'll let you. You see, these opportunities, these challenges, they're an opportunity for us to respond to the only one who is trustworthy, the only one who can truly solve the problem. You see, God can't but we can't. Same circumstance, two responses. I love what Kempis says. He goes on to juxtapose the just man as opposed to the righteous man. He says, the just man looks out on the brokenness of the world and he also feels it. We see the brokenness, we feel it, but is upheld by grace. Two responses, same circumstance. Two responses, different fruit. And we might be tempted to look at these two responses and think that God listens to one but doesn't listen to the other. That he works for those that trust and rely, but he forgets about those who complain and blame. And that's not the truth. You see, the good news of the gospel is that God, no matter what our response is, he remains faithful He remains faithful to provide. Let's take a look at that going on in verse five. It says this. And the Lord said to Moses, pass on before the people taking with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb and you shall strike the rock and water shall come out of it and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. God looks out on this scene and he sees the people of Israel complaining and blaming. And he sees Moses overwhelmed on his face asking for his intervention. And what does God do? He says, yes. He says, I'll provide. I'll provide for those who seem worthy and for those who seem unworthy. You see, friends, our posture is doesn't change the faithfulness of God. Amen. Our posture changes us. That's what it does. We get to choose to live lives of peace or to live lives of anxiety. We get to choose to live lives of joy or lives of freedom. We get to choose to live lives of complaining and blaming or lives of trust and reliance. That part's up to us. But either way, God's faithful because he cannot deny himself. He's faithful to provide for those who seem worthy and for those who seem unworthy. In fact, uh, this entire book is about how God provides for those that are unworthy. We're gonna see this over the next three years. Over and over again, God is gonna provide for people that don't seem worthy. They don't. And God is gonna prove himself to be faithful In fact, in the New Testament, God would ultimately provide through his son, Jesus. And Paul, he actually connects Jesus with this entire scene in the book of Exodus. And I love what Paul says about God's provision. He says this about the people of Israel and about Moses. He says, they all drank. They all drank. Paul says, that's how God provided. They all drank. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Jesus. Paul doesn't say uh, that rock pointed to Jesus. He says that rock was Jesus. You see, the people of Israel, they found their provision and faithfulness ultimately in Jesus. And that's where we find our provision as well. But as I head into the next year, I don't only want to find provision in Jesus, I also want to find that fruit. I want to find that joy. And I know that as I head into the next year, I'm going to face situations that I can't handle. And as I do, I want to be a person that responds like Moses, that falls on my face, trusting and relying in God, the only one who can solve those problems that I can't handle. And church, in a world full of complaining and blaming, I want us to get this right. I want us, in the midst of this age, to be people that live differently, that are filled with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. And God wants that for each of us as well. Thanks be to God.